Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, we've kind of alluded to this from time to time over the past few weeks, but I'm so excited to make a formal announcement to everybody that uh, the Box of Oddities is producing a second podcast. Yeah. Uh, Box of Oddities presents The Shallow End. Yes, and this will be a beautiful combination of uh, JG and the curator, uh, whose name is Lindsay, and um, they're going to tell you amazing stories, and then I will edit it so that it sounds good. These are going to be stories of stupid things people do. Now, Lindsay and I have been friends forever, childhood friends, and we kind of bonded over stories like this. The, uh, hey, did you hear about the guy stories? Yeah. for ex- I think the story that really created our mutual love for these types of uh, incidents was a guy in, I think it was Utah, decided he was going to make his own fireworks. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had some black powder at his house because he was reloading his bullets, his own ammunition. Mm-hmm. And so he took a toilet paper tube and uh, put duct tape on the end and filled it up with essentially gunpowder and then stuck a fuse in the other end and went out into the uh, field somewhere to light it. Takes his lighter of, out of his pocket and he lights this makeshift stick of dynamite, essentially. <laughs> essentially. And then tucks the tube of gunpowder between his legs so he can put his lighter back in his pocket. Unfortunately, the fuse was not as long as he thought it was. Mm. And the end result was something else was not as long as it used to be. Oh, no. They're not all so graphic. (laughs) It's just people that do stupid things. It's going to be so much fun, and we're so excited about it. And uh, we hope that you'll give it a listen. The Shallow End with... Schnebly and Toth, a box of oddities production coming soon. But we we still have this podcast to do. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. There will always be. You tell me a podcast story. That was what I'm saying. Box of oddities. <laughs> tell me a story. All right. So I'm going to tell you a few things about the Egyptian pyramids that maybe you did not know. Oh. Uh, maybe you do. 
But uh, if you don't, these are going to shock and amaze you. This is really, really cool stuff. I'm never sad to learn more about Egyptian her- history. It's I don't know why, but that is such a area of interest for me oh, and me always too. has been. Yeah. Ever since I was a little kid, I remember reading a book about the pyramids and it, it's just always fascinated me. And of course, we're all aware of the immenseness of the Egyptian pyramids, but I didn't realize this. There are actually 118 identified Egyptian pyramids. Oh. Most, of course, built as tombs for the pharaohs and their consorts in the Old and Middle Kingdom periods. Out of the 118 Egyptian pyramids, the most famous ones are those that are found at uh, Giza, which, of course, is on the outskirts of Cairo. Several of the Giza pyramids are counted among the largest structures ever built. Wow. The Pyramid of Khufu. For example, that's the largest of the Egyptian pyramids. We've watched a couple of, uh, well, (laughs) as many documentaries as we can find about it. (laughs) It's the largest Egyptian pyramid, and it's the only one of the seven wonders, the original seven wonders of the ancient world, that is still in existence, even though it was 2,000 years older than any of the other ones. That's incredible. I know. They just don't build stuff like that anymore. (laughs) Oh, which reminds me. Um, of a story that I wanted to tell you about. Stephanie, don't let me forget. Um, and I'll share it maybe after you're done with this this story. Okay, go ahead. All right. The Pyramid of Khufu, or the Great Pyramid, was built with an incredible attention to detail and, and such precision that even today, with our current advanced technology, we can't replicate it. So many facts about this pyramid still baffle archaeologists and scientists and astronomers. The Great Pyramid was built out of an estimated 2.3 million stone blocks. Each one weighed between 2 and 30 tons apiece. And some of the base blocks are estimated to weigh over 50 tons. How do you move that stuff Hmm. with the technology they had at that time? The base of the pyramid covers about 55,000 square meters. That would be 592,000 square feet. Each side of the pyramid represents 20,000 meters or 218,000 square feet in its area. The cornerstones are built with what's called ball and socket construction. Is that like tongue groove? Well, kind of where they've got a specific shape that it will slide into the slot and it will stay permanent there. Got it. It also allows for the expansion and contraction due to temperature, and it clearly has proven successful in surviving earthquakes. The mortar that they use, I never knew this, it's of unknown origin. What? It's been analyzed, and we understand its chemical composition, but we can't reproduce it. And we would love to, because it's actually stronger than the stone is, and still holds to this day, 4,500 years later. See, it's, I mean, I don't believe that aliens had anything to do with... Who said anything about aliens? They built it. (laughs) But I can definitely see why some people would come to that conclusion. Because there's a lot unknown about this. It absolutely is true. All three pyramids of Giza were built with great precision and are precisely aligned with the constellation of Orion. The galaxy is on Orion's belt. The Great Pyramid is aligned to true north. In fact, so accurately aligned with the north that it is the most accurately aligned structure in existence. Oh, wow. It faces true north with only 
three sixtieths of a degree of error. And I feel si- like I keep, I keep saying, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and since the North Pole moves over time, at one point in history, the Great Pyramid was perfectly aligned with the North Pole. They say somewhere around 10,000 years ago. No one knows how they did this. It's only speculation. And then there is the east-west parallel that crosses most land in the north-south meridian that crosses the most land that intersect in only two places on Earth. One is the middle of the ocean, and the other, yep, right down the middle of the Great Pyramid, making the Great Pyramid the center of landmass. How weird is that? That is weird. There are all kinds of unanswered questions involving the construction of the pyramids. For example, at the center of all four of the sides of the Great Pyramid, there are indentations, and the indentation on each side is of an extraordinary degree of precision in that it forms the only eight-sided pyramid in history. But this effect isn't visible from the ground or from any distance. You can only recognize it from high above and only under the proper lighting conditions. It's only detectable from the air at dawn and sunset on the spring and autumn equinoxes when the sun casts its shadow across the pyramid. Why? How, how, how? does it, wait, how does an indentation make a for an eight-sided pyramid? One, two, three, four, five, I think, six, seven, eight. I think eight. when it's when it's lined up properly with the sun at that particular point of the year, that the shadow that the indentation makes makes it appear as though it is an eight-sided pyramid, but only from directly above it and from a a high distance. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) Inside the Great Pyramid is the King's Chamber. Inside the King's Chamber is a granite coffer. And it's way too big to fit through any of the existing passages, which lead researchers to believe, and understandably so, that it was put there during construction. That makes sense. Yeah. The coffer is made from one solid block of granite. It wasn't put together with any of that fancy mortar they had. The only way a block like this could be cut at that time with the technology that they had that we're aware of was by using bronze saws that would have to be eight to nine feet long and their teeth would have had to been made from sapphires. Hollowing out the interior would require a special type of drill, like a tubular drill made out of the same material, but applied at an incredibly tremendous vertical force. So they studied this, researchers did, and through microscopic analysis, they discovered that the coffer was hollowed out with what appeared to be a fixed point drill that used hard jewel bits with a drilling force of two tons. How? The Great Pyramid also had an incredibly intricately designed swivel door. <laughs> you know, you think about you know the grave robbers and you see the movies where they tunnel in through a crack in the... No, there was a door <laughs> and it was huge. It was about 20 tons. And it swiveled from the center? Yes, and it was incredibly well balanced. It took very little effort to open it, at least from the inside. You could just press your hand against it, and this 20-ton door would swing open. So cool. But when it closed, it fit perfectly into the side of the pyramid. It was nearly undetectable. There was not even a crack or an edge or an imperfection that would allow anybody to get a grasp on it to open it. 
from the outside. So it was kind of like self-locking. You couldn't get in, but if you were in, you could get out. Well, that's comforting. It's kind of like an ancient Egyptian fire door. There were so many intricate details built into the pyramid with such great precision. Inside the pyramid, of course, there are all sorts of passages. There's one called the Descending Passage. Mm -hmm. It uh, pointed to the pole star Alpha Draconis, or at least where the star had been between the year 2170 and 2144 BCE. That's where the North Star was at this point in time. Okay. No other star that we are aware of has ever aligned with this passage since then. Now, the south shaft in the king's chamber pointed to a different star, Zeta Orionis. <laughs> the shaft. <laughs> which is in the constellation, again, of Orion. Right. That would have been about 2450 BCE. And, of course, the Orion constellation is associated with the Egyptian god Osiris. No other star has aligned with this shaft since then either. And there also seems to be hidden mathematical messages in the construction of the pyramid. For example, if you take the perimeter of the bottom of the granite coffer in the king's chamber and you multiply it by 10 to the 8th power, it's exactly the sun's radius. What? Yeah. In the curves that are designed into the faces of the pyramid that I talked about, yeah, they match exactly the radius of the earth. The same curvature. Wow. The Great Pyramid is the oldest and the largest. It rises 481 feet or 146 meters. It's not the tallest structure in the world anymore, but it was for 3,800 years. It's a pretty good run. I would think so. When it was first built, it was originally covered with highly polished limestone casing stones. Right. I've seen art depictions of what this must have looked like, and it's very... Even now it looks futuristic. (laughs) It is said that these stones reflected the sun's light, which caused the pyramids to shine like a jewel. In the 14th century, there was a major earthquake which loosened the limestone caps, and a lot of them fell away. And over the years, they were used by Arabs to build mosques and other types of buildings in the area. Based on the information we have about the type of block, the degree in which it was polished, And the angle that they were laid at, it's been calculated that the original pyramid, when the casing stones were intact, would act like a giant mirror. The ancient Egyptians, in fact, they called the pyramid Iket, which means glorious light. The light would be reflected off of it so strongly and so powerfully, according to the calculations. That it could be seen from space? From the moon. Mm-hmm. I knew that's where you were going with it. Looking like a shining star or a beacon back on Earth. And even though it's commonly accepted that the Giza pyramids were built during Egypt's old kingdom about 4,500 years ago, there are some archaeologists and researchers who say that it could be much, much older. And there are many reasons why. For example, marine fossils on the exterior of the pyramids of Giza suggest that they may have been built before the Great Flood, which scientists put at 10 to 12,000 years ago. They've also found salt encrusted on the walls of the Queen's Chamber, suggesting that the pyramid could have been partially submerged at one part in history. Mm -hmm. Also, some radiocarbon testing suggests the pyramids could be as old as 10,500 years So regardless of what you believe to be true, there are many, many unanswered questions about the pyramids. 
The first one's pretty obvious. How was this built? Yeah, what the heck? Such great astronomical precision was put into place using only the technology available at the time. The second question is why? I think you know what I think, but um, you make your own decisions. <laughs> Aliens. My information came from Cool Interesting Stuff, Wikipedia, and the Smithsonian Magazine. And now, that thing in the middle. In 2015, scientists sent flatworms to the International Space Station for five weeks. It was part of an experiment to see how space would affect the flatworm's growth. On return, it was discovered that one of the worms grew a second head. Scientists later amputated both of the heads, and they both grew back, showing that space had permanently changed the worm. Did you know that the curator was almost named Little Dingo the Dog-Faced Boy instead? Dodged a bullet there, huh? This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? 
I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Linda sent us an email. Um, it says, hello, I heard you on Jim Harold's podcast. Yes, we were on Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold last week. He's such a glorious treasure for allowing us to continue to come on to his show and ruin it. Yeah, and glum off his success. Um, we mentioned during that podcast, the Red Barn murder. Remember yeah. we covered that a few episodes ago? She goes on to say, it's so strange because my aunt years and years ago wrote a book about that very murder. I never saw my aunt as she died before I was born, but I know she was very interested in paranormal and would uh, purposely stay at haunted places to experience what might happen. She sounds like our kind of gal. Yep. Kind of cool as I never knew anyone else knew about the Red Barn murder unless you were from Suffolk. Cheers. Hey. Thanks, Linda. See, now people are having box of oddities effects and they don't even know their box of oddities effects. <laughs> Welcome to the Freak Family, Linda. Give our best to Suffolk. So my friend Stephanie, who is my age, um, went on a rant the other day. We Marco Polo. So rather than like talk on the phone, which is terrible for everyone, um, we we send each other video messages. Right. And that makes sense because you can control the incoming information. That's right. Yeah. And um, you can stop and start the video as you need to. So, I mean, it, it works for us. Plus, you can sort of kind of quasi interact with friends without having to interact with That's friends. Exactly right. I can do it on my schedule. I can include all the things that I and you can delete them. So if you mess something up, which I did one time, I was rambling about something and I was I realized that I had been just talking about literally nothing for 10 <laughs> minutes. And I was like, I'm just going to delete this. I'll start over. I'll include the important stuff. Also, you don't have to answer questions, which is you don't have great. to. I mean, we do because we're friends and we, but you we don't talk have to, about you things. You can think about them before you answer exactly. them. Exactly. So we were talking and I had sent her a message uh, about my day and she sent me a message back and it included 
like a five minute rant about how she went to this estate sale and she was so excited because she always goes to estate sales to buy buckets because they don't make buckets like they used to. She had this book. She bought this bucket like 10 years ago and she's been using it and it just broke. And so she bought a replacement at like a local big box store and it broke within months. Of course. She was so disappointed. So now she's, she trolls estate sales for buckets. Does she keep a bucket list of all of the... Oh, you know what? That's enough. Dad jokes. All right. What do you got for me, girl? All right. So, jesters. Court jesters. Oh, I love court jesters. It's a, it's a good time. They were called jesters, yeah, but they were also referred to as jokers, buffoons, or later on, fools. Though there may have been a difference about fools, and we'll get to that later on. Okay. Jesters, of course, got doing the work of entertaining the kings and were considered highly respectable and sometimes powerful. They sometimes had influence over medieval society. Uh, A minstrel was an entertainer initially in medieval Europe and was originally described as any kind of entertainer, like a musician, a juggler, acrobat, singer, musician. I already said musician, but I meant to say magician, but I always (laughs) mess those two up. Anyway, um, but a jester was one who was specifically employed by the king's court. A minstrel could work anywhere, but sometimes a minstrel would be a jester. Okay. But... Yeah, okay. A jester doesn't necessarily mean that you're a minstrel. That's right. It's kind of like a square is always a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't necessarily a square. It's noble geometry. (laughs) In the 12th century, the title of fool or fallus began to be mentioned in documents. And often those were jesters who had been uh, rewarded with land as payment for loyal service. But they were also often people who had disabilities and maybe were um, intellectually disabled. Um, I don't know if that's the correct term to use. I'm so sorry. Um, But uh, sometimes they were just people who were a bit different. And so they were just referred to as a fool. And sometimes just the way that they acted, spoke out of turn or their mannerisms led to their being, you know, fun to have around, right? (laughs) There were those that believed that that keeping disabled people or differently abled people in the castle would keep the people within safe from the disabled person's magic. Oh? Yeah, well, you know, there were some interesting thoughts back then. Okay. It was the jester's job to delight the court and make people laugh and also to be a voice of the common man. It was their job to help expose hypocrisy in authority or uh, royal excess or uh, issues with religion and law or personal vanity. They would use humor to point out social injustice, if you will. All right. And so it was similar to our political satirists of the day. Yes, except the king would actually listen to what the jester had to say. (laughs) Even if he didn't like it? Often, yes. Mm. And they got away with it. That's right. Well, it's it's that kind of thing where a lot of what people say in jest is truth. They just say it in a joking way so that they can mm-hmm. still say mm-hmm. it, but don't have to be held accountable for it's it. It's funny because it's true. Right? Even though the king 
was off limits to mockery from anyone else, jesters were generally granted freedom to do so. In many situations, though, only the queen and her ladies-in-waiting were off limits. Jesters were often used as messengers for courts in the state. Following their masters wherever they went and delivering messages, jesters could also give bad news to the king that no one else would dare deliver. So it's very possible a jester wanders into the royal uh, throne room. Hey, how you doing, your majesty? So what's the difference between your sister and a dead fish? Your sister's not a fish. You see, what I'm saying here is that uh, she's dead. Like that? Yep. Hopefully uh, a little more eloquently. In 1340, when the French fleet was destroyed at the Battle of Slois by the English, Philip VI, jester, told him, the English sailors don't even have the guts to jump in the water like our brave French. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's... That's humor that has stood the test of time. Right? (laughs) So, yeah, he had to break some bad news, but he did it lightheartedly. Yeah. (laughs) And also, I think um, it also, you know, lends to that idea of camaraderie. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Am I right? (laughs) Sometimes, jesters were even brought to the battlefield camp, and it was their job to elevate the morale of the army, cracking jokes about the opposite side, and occasionally... Occasionally, um, they were even brought onto the field where with both sides on the <laughs> battlefield, they would just mock the enemy <laughs> and kind of rile their you know own people up and uh-huh. be like, these dummies, right? <laughs> See, I wish that maybe we could wage war like that today and have it stop right there. Right. Like a rap battle, you know? <laughs> Just bring your, your best comedians out yeah, and then yeah. whoever says the funnier thing wins. Yeah, exactly. No, I get it. I think that would be beautiful. Unfortunately, sometimes someone would take offense and prematurely charge the jester rather than the army that they were mm. supposed to be fighting. Wow. So it was a dangerous job. And often it came with a lack of respect. Both King Edward II and Edward III had a series of jesters in their court, and they called them all Robert, no matter what their (laughs) names were, which sucks. (laughs) Wow. Not even like Robert I. No. Bring me Robert VII. Robert IV is not funny tonight. (laughs) Nope. Just always Robert. And uh, you didn't know what had happened to the previous Robert Uh in most cases. So... But some jesters became very well known and did really well for themselves. Some were provided with their own horses and servants. Some were set to retire off on a piece of land they'd Whoa. been given. There was a fool named Roland de Potiers who was given 30 acres of land by Henry II, probably when he retired, on the condition that Roland returned to the royal court every year on Christmas to leap, whistle, and fart. Was that on his business card? Well, apparently that was kind of what he was known for, was his flatulence. Ah. And everyone just thought it was great. It's so timeless. He had Farts to come back funny. for Christmas. We've talked about this. Newborn infants shoot <laughs> out of a vagina. And you pick it up all covered with placenta and slime, and you go... And the baby will laugh. 
It's in our DNA. I just love that their Christmas traditions involve probably like an orange in their stocking, maybe some figgy pudding, Mm -hmm. and the farting jester, Roland. (laughs) Roland the farting jester. I'm surprised there's not like a festive holiday jingle called Roland the farting jester. Sounds like a Warren Zevon song. Oh, I can't wait to go back to Nashville. I'm so excited. Let's go to the House of Blues. <laughs> okay. okay, anyway, born in the 1500s, it's unknown from what region of Africa Joao de Sa came from, but we do know that he'd been enslaved and somehow came to be in the employ of King John III of Portugal, entertaining both the king and Queen Catherine with witty jokes and parodies. Despite being in the employ of the king, though, he received constant racist abuse, especially by others working in the court. It was their feeling of superiority to Desa that caused their bullying, but also the fact that he was favored by the king and queen, and he could do what was not allowed by anyone else, which is mock the nobility uh, and not get in trouble for it. Okay. Not only did he eat with the royal family, he eventually became the king's closest advisor and confidant. He even received permission from the king to wear the attire of the military order of Santiago. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty big deal. I mean, he started as a slave, and now he's a, a essentially a nobleman. Mm. Though I'm sure a lot of people would debate me on that because he doesn't have noble blood. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Blue blood. Still, though, others would refer to him as a dog or a fly in the milk. But he, having the wit that got him into the king's court in the first place, referred to his very expensive gold chains as his dog's leash. Ha! <laughs> Right? Okay. Dessa was accompanying the king's brother in 1953 to Northern Africa, where he was part of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V's military campaign to conquer Tunis. The important victory over the Turks made the king of Portugal award Dessa exceptional honors. He was eventually admitted to the prestigious Order of St. James, a.k.a the ancient, most noble, and enlightened military order of St. James of the Sword of the Scientific, Literary, and Artistic Merit. That's the full name of the order. Ancient, most noble, and enlightened military order of St. James of the Sword of the Scientific, Literary, and Artistic Merit. That's much more impressive than whistle, dance, and farter. Desa reportedly died in 1567, but I cannot find anything about how. There is one reference that I found where it said that he was killed by a ewer being smashed on his head. But even when I Googled like those specific words, like ewer and Desa and court, you know, nothing else came up except for that one source. So I don't know where that Mm. came from. What's a ewer? It's like a it's like a uh, water pitcher. Oh, okay. You can see Dessa represented in the painting The King's Fountain, which is really nice. And there are actually several instances where you can see court jesters included in artistic interpretations of royalty from that time, which I think is amazing and um, something that I'm probably going to spend a good portion of tonight Googling. All right. Well, yeah. That's fair. Anyway, um, one of the things that I loved about the reading about this was the story of... 
Triboulet. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And you, you talked about yeah. Triboulet years ago. Right. He got in trouble with the king for uh, smacking him on the ass. <laughs> and then when the king was like, listen, guy, you can't do that. Uh, you're going to get in trouble. Triboulet said, I'm so sorry, sir. I mistook you for the queen. <laughs> Which, of course, as I said, the queen thing was off limits. Right. So the king was like, well, I'm going to put you to death now. Um, but because of your faithful service, you can choose how you die. Mm-hmm. And Triboulet said? Um, old age. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So the king was like, well, that's that's friggin' funny. That's and clever. I can't. Yeah. So uh, instead he was just exiled, which I just, well, there you go. come on. That's, that's nice. pretty great. So that's, that's uh, just jesters. It was also, we, we talked about this briefly one time about a jester who was a little person and his big bit was to be baked into a pie. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't baked in because that would kill you. Yeah, no, but he was put in a pie. Yeah. And, and like would pop baked, out. Yeah. Like on the table. Yeah. Like, hey. Hey. Yeah. How do you like this pie? What's up with airplane food? Wait, what? Am I right? Oh, speaking of which, I started watching Seinfeld today. <laughs> the first time. I. <laughs> She's never seen Seinfeld. <laughs> so I got about halfway through the episode before I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go do something else. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's because you started with season one. Well, of course, I'm going to start with season you one. I'm not an animal. Season one sucked. <laughs> you need to really seriously. I would say halfway through season two, maybe even begin with season three. They found their stride at that point. OK, well, I cannot like I, I need you to understand that I cannot do that. I can't. It, See, it's preventing you from enjoying the quality, the consistent hilarity of uh, Seinfeld. Apparently, it's not that consistent if I have to skip two seasons. Well, once you get past two seasons, it's great. Okay. Kramer finds his stride. Anyway. She doesn't like Seinfeld, but she's a big Friends fan, which is cool because Friends is good for it being a ripoff of Seinfeld. Yeah, that's that was pretty much the concept. I mean, that's not an insult. It's just how it was written. Yeah. You know. Why do you love a cheap knockoff compared to the original? That's the question I have for you, madam. Maybe you should look at yourself before uh, questioning what I love. That's true. Why do you love me? <laughs> right now, I'm wondering the same thing. <laughs> All right. Get an awful lot of snark from that uh, side of the room. Okay, let's wrap this shit up. I got my information from the travel, historyextra.com, top tens, Freedom is Mine on YouTube, and Miranda Kaufman History. Tickets are on sale for our live shows. We have one in Nashville, one in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, a new show we added since the last time we spoke. We're going back to Charlotte. Super excited about these shows. You can get the details for these and any additional shows that might be added sometime soon at theboxofoddities.com. We're so looking forward to seeing you guys in person. Did want to uh, say thanks very much for uh, joining us to our new patrons, Allison, Kalia, Zachary, Marshall, Christy, Ryan, Georgia, Amy, and Jessica. Oh, and Rose and Michelle. 
We appreciate you guys so much. And uh, that reminds me, uh, we did want to mention this doesn't really affect the patrons uh, so much because Because they get their episodes ad free. Right. But uh, we've been trying to streamline things a little bit on the Box of Oddities. And as you know, our livelihood depends on on advertising. But we're trying to streamline things a little bit. So what we have done is what you will notice in the not too distant future, if you haven't already, is that we are shortening the length of the commercial break pretty significantly. And we're breaking it up into two segments. So you'll notice that a little bit of ads happen before the thing in the middle and a little bit of ads happen after the thing in the middle. Um, And in an effort to uh, shorten our ad break total time, uh, you'll see that change. And uh, fingers crossed, it's a smoother listen for you. And still allows us to make a living. Which is important. Yeah. because For me, at least. I like to eat from time to time. Oh, do I like to eat. (laughs) We love you guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into... Unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.